Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. So we are in week four of this series called Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that series or not, but I, I'm, you know, that's about, the, the name is about all we've taken from the show. I certainly cannot grow Guy Fieri hair, okay? So I'm not going to try to do that. If you've ever seen him, you understand. So uh, we're in week four, and we're, we're learning to say no today, and, 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 and it's, to learn to say no is to learn to be like Jesus. Jesus is someone who said no. He said it a lot. And so to become like Jesus, we need to learn this little two-letter word that uh, too often we, we are not saying. I have a good friend named Rondell Ramsey. I want to introduce you to Rondell this morning. Uh, he looks kind of like a crazy Santa Claus, doesn't he? Uh, that is one of my dear friends in life, and that guy is really, really smart, uh, loves Jesus with his whole heart. He's a great dad. He's a great uh, speaker. He's, uh, he's one of my best friends and has poured into my life and taught me so much and continues to do that. We get together about once a year. He's a professor at Lincoln Christian University. He's uh, in the youth ministry department, and I've been in his classroom, and I've watched him teach, and it's just a, it's a really cool thing to watch him the way he is with kids, but he was over here one time, and we were talking in my office, and it was in a period of my life when it, things were really busy and convoluted, and there was a lot of stuff going on, and I was probably overcommitted and, and a little stressed out, and I just made the comment. I said, yeah, I don't say no very well. I need to learn. I don't, I'm not very good at saying no, and, and he immediately corrected me, and it wasn't a subtle rebuke. It was like he kind of got on me. He said, no, Brett. When you, he said, you're very good at saying no. Because when you say yes to these things, you're saying no to a lot of other really good things. And what you need to learn how to do is say yes to the right things, and, and then the no's start to happen. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. Um, let's shift gears, and let me just show you this picture. This is one of my favorite scenes in life right here. This involves four of my favorite words, all you can eat. I think that's four of the greatest words in the English language. Uh, I love a good buffet, but here's the problem. I get started, right, and I'm going down the line, and there's some salad, and I'll have some salad, and there's some bread, and I'll have some bread, and some beans, and some macaroni and cheese, and absolutely, and there's potatoes, and it doesn't matter what kind of potatoes, potatoes all gratin, mashed potatoes, baked potatoes, it doesn't matter. God made potatoes, potatoes are good, I like potatoes, I'm, you know, I'm just loading on the plate, here's some apple pie, Jesus surely wants me to have some apple pie, I'm going to have some of that, but then the problem is, I... Halfway through the buffet, I look at my plate, and my plate is full. And I look down the buffet, and I see some more really good things. There's, there's a, you know, it might be fried chicken down there. Is that guy cutting prime rib? Is that what I see? Is that roast beef? What is that? Is that are those crab legs? And I realize that my plate is not going to be able to contain everything that I want to put on it, and that's when the problems start. So now the problem is my plate is full. And it's, it's my, it my, so my, how do I want to say this? My stomach cannot accommodate my reach is what I'm trying to say. You know, I put all this food on my plate and I, you know, if you've ever watched me at a buffet, that happens a couple of times. That's why I look like this. But um, I, I just, I want to just load it up with as much stuff as I can. And if you've ever watched me come back from a buffet, it's like piled really high. And I know people look at me like, there's no way he's going to be able to eat all that. And, and so 
that's what life looks like for us. That's what our life looks like. If you're a parent and, and you know, your life is a plate, I had three small kids. We, you know, had three kids, and when they were little growing up, we, they were in baseball. We played soccer. My daughter was into horses, and she had dance classes, and all my kids were in musical stuff, and, um, you know, it was you know, just the regular normal stuff that, that grows out of going to school. And then all the extracurricular stuff in the summer times, and it was not long before you looked up and you're, you're committed to this and you're committed to this and you didn't want to miss anything and here's a recital and here's a game and they want you to coach and you know they need parent volunteers and involvement here and oh by the way I have a job that keeps me pretty busy and it just that's true for all of us you know we, we, we look up and our plate is full maybe it's at work for you and, and at work, you, you're, there's, your boss is coming to you with this, that, and the other, and a, work, a co-worker needs your help with something, or a customer comes in and needs something, and you want to be a good, you know, you want to represent the company well, and you're, you're just, you overcommit, and your plate gets full. Students, I remember being a student in, in Bible college, and I would go, you know, there's one day that we called syllabus day, and you go through your class schedule for the first day, and every professor gives you a syllabus. And then you come home with that, you come back to your dorm that night, you get them all out, and there'll be like five or six syllabi there on the, on the table, and I'm looking over them, and I'm like, holy cow, when am I going to get time to do all this? Because it tells you how many books you've got to read, how many papers you've got to write, when the tests are, when the quizzes are, and it, it just, it was overloading. And, and, and students are some of the most busy people I know because they've got a lot of stuff going on. And then there are retired people. And I always thought that retirement meant that you didn't have to do diddly squat, right? I thought you just got to quit everything. And it used to be in church, if you wanted something done, you went to retired people because they had the time to do it. And I'm looking out here on some of our retired folk, and here's what I know. They keep calendars. They, their calendars are probably more full now than they've ever been before. And I'll say something to them sometime, and I'll say, well, let me, you know, let me check my calendar. And I'm like, what? You're retired. You're not supposed to have a calendar? But that's the way it is. So today, I want to look at Jesus in a very familiar uh, meal setting, a very famous meal setting, probably the most familiar to us. And we're, we're in this series, and most of what we're looking at has come from the, the book of Luke. But today we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 13. But I want to show you this picture. This is probably one of the most famous uh, meals that we know of with Jesus. This is Da Vinci's <clears throat> uh, Last Supper. And this is, Da Vinci has captured that moment <clears throat> where Jesus has just made the statement, one of you will betray me. This very you know, day, someone's going to betray me. And this is the moment when they're all looking around like, is it me? Is, you know, is it you? I mean, who, who's it going to be? And so on this night, Jesus will rise to his feet. He will gird himself about with a towel. He will grab a basin of water, and he will begin to wash the disciples' feet, feet that included Judas, who would betray him, feet that included Thomas, who doubted him, feet that included Peter, who would deny him three times before this night is over. And so there are some things that we can learn and some places where we can learn a lot about people, um, certainly one of the places you learn a lot about people is competition. I've learned more just 
about some people, I've seen a whole different side to some people by watching them play Monopoly or cards or bingo for that matter. I mean, it's just amazing what happened. Pickleball. Uh, there's, there's a competitive side to some of the people in this church when it comes to pickleball. I had no idea. You can learn a lot with, by somebody, with somebody by just being in close proximity, like traveling with them, driving with them. You would learn a lot about me if you traveled with me to Indianapolis on Interstate 70. I can promise you that. But I, I say this often, and it really is true. You can learn a lot about somebody by having a meal with them, by sitting down and just just sharing your life over a meal. And that's kind of what we're talking about uh, in this series. At this table, Jesus says no to, in, in two very, very powerful ways. He says no with great clarity. And I want to take a look at both of those. The first no is when Jesus said no to glory, power, and position as he is about to wash their feet. Uh, this is Jesus sent from God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, creator of the universe, the Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end, God in human flesh is at that table and he said no to position and power and he says yes to humility and sacrifice and eventually to death itself. The disciples have walked into this room. There was no servant. Normally there would be a servant provided at the door and it was a lowly servant. This is one of the worst, lowest positions in the, in the whole hierarchy of serving this was kind of like toilet washing, right? Like this is the job nobody wanted. And there was usually somebody at the door and they would wash feet. The streets were dusty, your feet got nasty, and so they would wash feet. And this picture is not a great representation of what that dinner probably looked like. Um, you know, Da Vinci kind of paints this in his, in his time. Um, you know, but in the, in the day of Christ, you're low to the ground. You're not likely that your feet would be right in somebody's face, but you needed to have your feet washed. And it hasn't happened. And they've all walked in and they've all noticed nobody washed feet and they're all kind of looking around like, who's going to do it? And Jesus is the one who rises to his feet, girds himself about and is going to wash their feet. We pick this story up in John chapter 13, verse 3. It's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. I love this story. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. The Lord of glory got up from that dinner and one by one begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Now there's a biology lesson here and it's really simple. You cannot wash feet standing up. Feet are on the ground and the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth one day he gets on his knees and he starts to wash feet. And one by one, he goes around to the disciples and he takes their feet with the towel and the basin and he washes their feet. What is Jesus doing? He's saying no. No to position, no to the power, no to authority that he had had from the beginning of time and he would say yes to serving. This shouldn't be a surprise to us because he said no to glory and position and authority just by showing up on this planet. He has everything available to him in heaven that you could want. He's with his father, and he says no to all that, and he comes in the form of an infant, is born in a manger, and will subject himself to all of the, the things that we have to offer, if you want to put it that way, on earth. He would submit himself to the, the time-space thing to, for the most part. I mean, you know, he, 
He would submit himself to a cross. He would eventually uh, be crucified and buried and resurrected. And, and, and all of that is contained for us in this little passage of Scripture that I like to read from Philippians chapter 2. I want to start in verse 6. And you don't need to turn there. I'll just read this for you. This is talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus left glory, power, and position to come to earth, to be born in a manger. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I have a hard time even giving words to this idea of, of the deity of Christ. Like to try to describe to somebody that Jesus is fully God and fully human. How do you do that? How do you give words to that in a way that somebody hears it and goes, oh, that makes perfect sense to me. How do you talk about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in a way that it makes sense? I mean, I believe in the Trinity, but, but to, to, you know, to talk about how God can be here and God can be there and sees this and experiences that and does this, it's hard to put words to all that stuff. But he's the one who said no to something so that he could come and serve and be among us and be a, a part of what we're a part of and save us. And his no to glory and power was a humble yes to service. So that first no, Jesus speaks at the table, but there's a second no. And this is going to come when he says no to Peter's ridiculous request. We go back to John 13. Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. One by one, he comes to Peter. And... Uh, it, this is the exchange in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, Peter knew who Jesus was. It was Peter who had uttered the great um, confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. Peter knew who Jesus was, and he says, are you really, are you going to wash my feet? And then we get this response from Jesus in verse 7. You do not realize now what I am doing, but later... You will understand. Verse 8, no, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You learn a lot about somebody by, around a meal. Peter is the one who jumped out of the boat to try to walk on water. Peter is the one who drew out his sword or his, his short knife, you know, and, and, and cut off the ear of Malchus the servant of the high priest. It was Peter who, you know, just was this impulsive. We, I see a lot of myself and Peter um, constantly doing something and then coming back later to God and saying, oh, man, I really, I thought I was doing a good thing, but I really messed that up. And Peter was impulsive. He would ask first and, and think later. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. And I want you to see how Peter responds. Verse 9, then, Lord... Simon replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. In other words, if washing me makes me a part of you, then I want you to wash all of me. Well, how will Jesus respond? He basically says, no, no. Verse 10, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. Jesus said, no, that's not the thing to do right now, Peter. That's not what we're doing. That's, this isn't a time for a full bath. Your feet are dirty, so I'm going to wash your feet. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, sometimes says no. You ever 
prayed for something and God said no? Of course you have. If you've ever prayed to God very much and asked him for something, at somewhere along the line, the answer has been no. God says no. The question is why? Why does God say no to us? Here's one reason God says no, and if you're a parent or a grandparent, I say this all the time, but it really is true. As a parent or a grandparent, you have a perspective on, on God that others don't because you're able to see the world through, kind of through the, the lens that God sees it of having responsibility for somebody, loving someone, and wanting to take care of them and provide the very best for them. And so if you've ever had a child or a grandchild, of course you understand that sometimes there has to be a no. Why did you say no? You said it because you loved them. That's exactly why God says no to us. God says no to us sometimes because he loves us. You know, if your son, <laughs> if your son was watching television one day and he saw a man jump out of an airplane with a parachute and he watches him do the whole, you know, where they hold their hands out like that and then all of a sudden he reaches up and he pulls the ripcord and the chute opens and he falls softly to the ground and your son comes running through the kitchen and, and you say, hey, where are you going? He says, oh, I'm going to go outside and get the ladder. I'm going to take this sheet, this bed sheet and these ropes I'm going to climb the ladder to the top of the house and I'm going to jump off like that guy I just saw in the parachute. You would say, no. Why would you say that? You'd say that because that's not safe and I don't want you to get hurt. But mom, I want to do what the man did and I want to fall down like he did. No, no, you're not doing that. I don't, no matter how many tears, no matter what kind of fit he pitches, the answer in that situation is no. Now, you get that. You understand. You're my son. I love you. I don't want anything, any harm to come to you. So, son, I have to say no to you in this case. Sometimes God says no to us because he loves us. And just like our children think that we hate them or that we're being mean or that we're being unreasonable when, when he says no, when, when we say no, that's how we look at God. We look at God and we think, you're being unreasonable. You're just a cosmic killjoy. You're just saying no because you can, just because you don't want to give me what I want. I can tell you this, with my kids, I was always looking for ways to say yes. I did not like telling my kids no, but there were times, no, you cannot play on the railroad tracks. <laughs> no, you cannot drive my car. You're three. No, you can't do that. Um, fun fact, I found out years after the fact, my son, I was with him, he's, he's almost 30 now. He told me about two years ago that he snuck out of the house one night and got in my car in the middle of the night. He was 14, I think. Drove it around the block. I said, where was I? He said, you were asleep. I'm like, yeah, I would have said no. I would have said no. God also says no because he's wise. Okay? Uh, sometimes when we want something, we long for it because we think we need it. And God has something else in mind for us. And he's wiser than we are. He knows things we don't know. He knows what we need. He knows what the world needs. He just knows things we don't know. Um, growing up, I had a, a dream that I would own one of these. That is a Porsche. That is not just any Porsche. That is a Porsche 911. Um, that thing is a beast. And when I was 16, 17 years old, I was convinced that it was God's will that I own one of these. And so I was plotting how could I make that happen. So I was going to go off to the local university and study computers. This is way before PCs. I was going to study mainframes and learn how to 
program and, you know, old-style modems and things like that. And uh, that was my lifelong dream. I was going to, that my goal in life was to own a Porsche 911. And, um, you know, I had a pastor and a youth pastor that kept saying to me, Brett, you have gifts and skills for ministry. You need to go into ministry. Well, I wasn't real smart, but I was smart enough to know that you didn't get one of those in ministry. So I'm like, um, no, ministry's not the path for me. Porsche is the path for me. And so I went off to the university, and after one very horribly performed year in the university and a lot of embarrassment and failure, um, I decided that maybe a Porsche wasn't in my future anymore, and maybe I should go study for ministry. And here's what I can tell you. Had you told me at 16 that my life would have had the experiences that it's had, that I would have the rich relationships with people that I have had, that I would see some of the things happen, that that God would give me a front row seat to watch him work and do things, and sometimes even allow me to participate in it and feel good about it and and think, wow, that was really cool. Um, I look back over a life of ministry, and I, I I find myself just saying, God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't give me that. Thank you that you were long-sighted when I was short-sighted because I thought that that would make all the difference for me. And I thought that would fill me up. And I thought that's what life was about. And I'm really thankful, God, that you didn't give me something that would rust and eventually run down and that I wasn't going to have forever and it would eventually amount to nothing. But what you gave me in return is a lifetime of experience and ministry and people and love and joy and service and I just find myself humbled by it and it's because God is wise he's wise third thing is God sometimes says no just because he's God you may not always look at it and see that his no is loving You may not always look at it and see the wisdom in in God's no for your life. Sometimes we just simply don't understand. Sometimes it defies all logic. Sometimes all we can do is just simply say, God, you are God, not me. I'm just going to have to trust you on this. You have the right to say no because you are on the throne and you rule the universe. It's a harsh reality, and it's just sometimes when I see it happening, I'm just like, man... I don't even know what to say, but sometimes God says no. I want you to try to look at this. um, I want you to try to lock two different ideas away this morning in your mind. Two biblical ideas that I hope you'll keep these for the rest of your life. They're biblical, they're practical, and this is how it goes. First one is this. Every yes is a no. Every yes is a no. Every time you say yes to one thing, you are saying no to everything else. That's what Rondell was trying to get me to see. See, when you go through the buffet line and you start filling up your plate, here's the experience that I've had. This has actually happened to me. You know, I'm filling it up. It's starting to get, and I'm piling it now. And now I've got, I can't even see what's underneath that. And I'm just piling it on. And I see this and I'm like, I think I can get that. I'll just take the spoon and scooch that over. And what starts to happen is stuff starts to fall off on the backside. Not just stuff, important stuff. Like fried chicken, you know, meat, potatoes, good stuff is falling off the plate because I can't control. I want to put another thing on there. Surely I can fit one more thing on the plate. Here's just, 
You don't have to be an engineer to know this, okay? You can only put so much on that plate. Now, transfer that to your calendar. You have so many hours and so many days. Your calendar, you can only put so much stuff on it. And you have got to learn. You would look at me doing that and you would say, Brett, are you stupid? Do you not understand that, yes, you're putting a little cranberry sauce or whatever on your plate, but the chicken just fell off? I mean, are you dumb? What's wrong with you? But, but we, we can do that in our schedule all the time and nobody ever calls us out on it and, and nothing ever changes. Your plate can only hold so much. Your calendar can only hold so much. And we do this thing in life. And usually what's fallen off the plate are the really important things. When you say yes to some things, you're saying no to some other things that, you, that are falling off the plate that you don't even realize and they're important, like your marriage like your kids, like your quiet time, like, like just, just our health and care for our bodies. You know, when we say yes to certain things, we're saying no to some really important things in life. Uh, and we say, man, I just have a really hard time saying no. No, you, you say no really well when you say yes. I can hear Rondell right now. Brett, you say no really well because you said yes to that. Problem is, they're usually accidental no's. We're not doing it on purpose. And they're usually, the, like I said, the things that are falling off are way more important. But the opposite is true as well. Every no is a yes. Uh, when you say no to something and you keep it off your plate, you can say yes to some other things that are more strategic, more beautiful, more impactful, more powerful. You have to be wise with your yeses. You have to be wise with your noes. Every yes is a no. Every no is a yes. You say no to some things so that you can say yes to what matters the most. Jesus did that. Jesus said no so that he could say yes to the things that really mattered. We have to learn to say yes to certain things. You know, there's just certain things that... Um, you know they're the right things to say yes to. And then there's other things that's just like... Man, I want to do that, but, and I'm not talking about moral things. I'm just talking about options that we have. I'm talking about just thinking through, is this wise for me to say yes to? Do I have time for this? Do I have margin for this? One of the things that I probably will teach in the next couple of years, I do this series um, probably every four to six years called Margins, and I'm due to teach that. But here's what I can tell you about margins. If you're not familiar with margins, here's margins in a nutshell. The more margin you have in your life, the less stress you will have in your life. The less margin you have in your life, the more stress you will have in your life. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop there because I'll start preaching that series and crisscross, and that's not good. God's word says no to certain things, and God's word says calls us to certain things, and to follow Jesus is to say yes to what Jesus would say yes to and no to what he wouldn't. There's a story that you find in two different places in Scripture. You find this story in Matthew chapter 4, and you find it in Luke chapter 4, and it's the story of Jesus being tempted when he's in the wilderness. And Jesus says no, but every time he says no to the devil as he's tempting him, he says no, it is written. He's, he's reminding the devil that it's written, that God has said something. So Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, and the enemy comes and he says, hey, turn these stones to bread. Now, this is where I go back to this thing where Jesus was fully God and he was fully human, 
And you would say, well, if he's fully God, it's no problem for him to say no to turning the stones to bread. But the fully human part of him that is hungry and knows that he could if he wanted to, I think, Jesus, there's a part of him. It's a temptation. We're told he was tempted. That means he wanted to do it. It, it, You know, this idea that, that Jesus never went through what we went through and experiences what we do. No, he did. Whatever you've been tempted with, Jesus has been tempted with. He had to stare it down. And here's, he hasn't eaten. And here's the devil taunting him. You know you have the power, Jesus. Just turn, in, turn these, these stones into bread. And Jesus says, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan says, well then, if you're not going to do that, then throw yourself, self down off of, down, throw yourself down off of the, the pinnacle of the temple. And then he kind of confuses God's words and he says, you know, because angels will come and catch you and and everybody will be impressed, you know, at this this thing that you you have command over the angels. And, And Jesus said, no, it is written, do not test the Lord your God. And then the devil comes a third time and he says, you know, if you just bow down and worship me, you won't, you won't have to answer to God anymore. You'll have it all to yourself. You'll have complete power, complete control, complete control. Everything will be at your feet, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I, I, it is written. You'll have no other God before me. I will not bow down to you. Three quotes we see in these passages. Do you know what book of the Bible those three quotes come from? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. I'm sure we all have the book of Deuteronomy memorized, do we not? Right? Like that's because you, you respond to all your temptations with the book of Deuteronomy says, right? I mean, that's, I, you don't? <laughs> of course we don't. But here's Jesus. No. It is written. No. Three times. No. It is written. So what, you've, you've got to learn to say no to the right things and yes to the right things. You say, Brett, is there a verse I could memorize? My response would be there might not be just one verse. The Bible's got all kinds of verses about lots of life situations. So, for instance, if let's say that you struggle with greed and you came to me and you said, Brett, you know, I just, I know I shouldn't, but I just have this problem with greed. Um, And and I just, I just like stuff. I like collecting stuff. Is there a verse for me? Well, yeah, you know, I could point you to a verse like Luke 12 where it says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But here's what I'd tell you. Um, if greed is a problem for you, get your phone out and just Google Bible verses that pertain to greed, Bible verses about greed, and it'll populate for you probably 10 or 12, 13 verses. Find one or two of those that is easy for you to memorize, and the next time you struggle with greed, the next time that's a temptation, and you want to be able to, with Jesus, say, no, it is written, and you pop that verse out. I think you'd be surprised how, how, how it helps you. Some people struggle with gossip. Brett, is there a verse you can give me for gossip? Google, give me some Bible verses on gossip, and you'll get 10 or 12 verses. Find one or two, and the next time you find yourself in a situation where you want to say more than you should, that verse comes to your mind. And, you, you know, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but such is, is, is beautiful and glorifying and edifying. Ephesians 4. No, I'm, I'm going to keep my mouth shut here. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say no, and I'm going to say it is written because I've got it in my brain. And, and then you find yourself closing your mouth. You have the discipline to say no. It's found when you fill your mind with Scripture. 
And, and here's just a verse that I think we all need to memorize is Philippians 4, verse 8. I love this passage. It's all about positivity. It's about thinking the right things. And Paul wrote this while he's in prison, and he's saying, finally, brothers, whatever's right, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's excellent, anything lovely, anything of good repute, if, if it's worth thinking about, set your mind on these things. Boy, we could use that. What scripture do you need to commit to memory to help you have the right mindset to be able to say no when you need to say it? So now here's what I want to do to close out our time. I want to teach you how to say no in certain situations. I want to look at a couple of examples of, of the types of no that we say. Uh, the first one is the nuclear no, right? Nuclear no. Like the nuclear no is, no, never, I'm offended you asked me, I can't believe you would ask me that. Now that's not a Christian way to respond to somebody. That's not how I want you to respond. I can't imagine ever looking at anybody, no matter what they ask me, and, and responding like that. That's just not, it's not me and it's likely not you. But you're not going to say, oh, no thanks. You're not going to do it like that. So how do you say a nuclear no? Here's how I think you should say it. That's not who I am, and that's not what I'm about. No, I'm not going to do that because that's not who I am, and that's not what I'm about. You must not know me very well because that's just not who I am. I have a good friend, and um, he, uh, they found themselves in a situation where the company was doing something that... Um, compromised his integrity and compromised the integrity of the company. And it was kind of a wink and a nod kind of thing, you know, like we're going to do this and everybody just kind of go along with it and we need you to go along with it. And this person's like, no, no, I, I, I'm, I, I don't go along with that. I don't want my name associated with that. You're about to do something that is contrary to our company and contrary to my character and my integrity. And you know, as I'm having this conversation with them, they said, hey, you need to pray for me because at this time I'm going to have this conversation with my boss and I could lose my job, and it's a good job. And they said, if, if I don't go along, if I don't wink and nod, it could, it could be very bad for me. And in the conversation, this person said, you're asking me to compromise my integrity with my customers that I have spent years trying to cultivate and in one fell swoop, I could lose it all because you guys are winking and nodding about this and this doesn't seem to be a big deal to you, but this is a big deal to me. I can't do this. This is not who I am and this is not what I'm about. And they said the more they talked to their boss, the more they could hear their boss coming around and understanding, wait a minute, this, is, this is, can also be said about our company. And they ended up not doing what they were going to do, all because one person had the stuff to say, that's not who I am, that's not what I'm about, and that's not what we are about. And they said, you know what? You're right. So that's one no. Another no is the risky or the dangerous no. That no is the no that's necessary when you get asked to do something and it's a great opportunity, but the timing's not right. You know, and, and you want to say, man, I want this so bad, but if I say yes to this, then it's going to mean I don't ever see my kids. 
If I say yes to this, it's going to mean my wife and I don't have date night anymore. If I say yes to this, it's going to mean that, that my extended family, I'll never see them. Right? I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity, but the timing's not right or it's going to cost you too much. And you're thinking, man, how do I do that? Man, if I say no, this could cost me. And what you say is, you know what, I'm really sorry, but the time is just not right. It's just not right, and I'm just going to have to tell you no. Here's another no. <clears throat> no, because I love you. And usually when you're saying no, and you're saying it in this way, it's usually to our kids, even your grown kids, I'm discovering, sometimes you have to do this. Um, no, because I love you. Now, when you say that no, they're not going to understand. My kids used to look at me like I hated them. Well, you don't love me, you know. No, we're not going to do that. And, and they, they thought I was the meanest person in the world, but you know as well as I do as a parent that sometimes you say no because you absolutely want to protect and provide for your kids. I remember I was with, uh, before I had this job at Cross Lane, I was the youth pastor. So in the 90s, I was the youth pastor, and we were out one time with the youth group. I was out somewhere with, with the kids, and something happened. Um, I had to call one of them down or a couple, I had to do something like that, and I hated doing that. I hate doing that kind of stuff. Um, I wanted to be cool and I wanted them to like me, but whatever happened, it got me thinking. We got in the van and before I turned on the van, I said, guys, I just want to ask you a question. Do you want me to discipline you? Do you, I mean, do you expect me to let you just get away with stuff like that? Do you, should I just, what would you think if I just let you do what, what you tried to do back there? And one of the kids in the back said, no, Brett, we don't want you to let us get away with that stuff. And we know when you tell us no, when you tell us no, that's when we know you love us. We know, Brett, we know. We're going to push it once in a while. But if you never disciplined us, we would think that you didn't love us. So the, the, this no that is accompanied with no because I love you. Listen, they may not get it in the moment, but they will eventually get it. The, the last kind of no is the automatic no. This is a no where it's just... There's no thinking about it, right? You're just not going to do it. It's an automatic no for you. Is there anything that when you think about it in advance that you'd say, I just wouldn't do that? So I would say, well, what's your plan if someone ever comes up to you and asks you to do it? Have you rehearsed an answer? Have you rehearsed your no? Um, and I'll just give you one of mine. And this isn't a big deal, and it's, it's, but it, it makes the point. An automatic no for me is I will not have lunch with a woman alone, okay? I just won't do that. Um, once in a while, uh, a, a single female will come to our church, and I'll meet them on the way out, and, you know, they're happy to have found Cross Lane, and they, they like the church, and they're interested in learning more about the church and about me, and just, you know, they don't mean anything when they come up and they say, hey, could we get lunch sometime? Could we go out to lunch? And you know, they don't mean, there's no ill intent, they're not hitting on me or anything like that, it's just, it's just lunch, you know, can we get lunch together? And my answer to that is always, no, I, I can't do that. Um, and what, and the reason I'll say no is because I don't want to, I wouldn't do that to Didi. I'm, I'm not going to do that to the reputation across lane, I'm not going to do that to the reputation of the office of pastor. Um, 
you've seen when that's happened and it's it just it's devastating and it's heartbreaking and nobody wins and and i'm not putting down any pastors listen i understand how people can fall into temptation i get it but so one of the ways that i protect me and i protect my wife and i protect our church and i protect the office of pastor is to just say no i you know i, I can't do that but here's what i can do Dee and i would love to have lunch with you We'd love to get together. I'd love to get to know you better. We can do that. There's an alternative. So no, um, you know, I, I can't do it alone, but I would be happy if, if uh, you know, Dee could join me and we could go to lunch together. And most of the time, someone like that goes, oh, well, of course. Yeah, that'd be great. Now, what have I done? I've just protected me. I've protected Dee I protected Cross Lane. I protected the office. And I protected her. And I protected her reputation. And, her, and maybe her marriage. All because I had a well-rehearsed, thought-out, automatic, no, I don't do that. But here's how I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it with grace. I'm going to say it with dignity. I'm going to be kind. I'm not going to make her feel awful for asking the question. You don't have to do any of that. But, but there are some automatic no's and you need to have the answer ready. Make a decision that you are going to be more conscious about how you say yes and how you say no and what the implications are. There is only so much room on your plate. And every time you try to scoot more on, something good is falling off. Jesus does not want us overextended. He wants us to learn how to say no so that we can say yes to what matters most. Yes, God. Yes to your will. Yes to your leading. Yes to my kids. Yes to my wife. Yes to my marriage. Yes to my family, yes to my church, to my health. Matthew 6 is the Sermon on the Mount, and in that Jesus teaches us how to pray, and he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Yes to your will, yes to your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You get one life to live, one And the quality of that life and what you're able to wring out of it in large measure comes down to how you say yes and how you say no and how much margin you find and how much room is on your plate. Every yes you speak is a no to something. So choose your yeses wisely. May your yes be yes and your no be no and may each of them lead you to a closer, better walk. With Christ. Let me pray with you and over you as you get ready to go out and say your no's this week. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world where calendars rule. We've got them on our phone, they're on our computer, we've got reminders, there's buzzers going off. Um, we even hear them in church sometimes. Um, we are busy people, we have lots of opportunities. We should thank you for that. We should thank you that we live in a world where there's so many things we could do. But Father, with all of that comes a responsibility to find margin, to find that place where we, to find discipline sometimes and say, you know what, that's a great opportunity, but I'm just going to have to say no. Thank you for thinking of me. Father, help us to do it with dignity and respect. Help us to be civil. Help us to consider the the feelings and, and, and things with other people who maybe didn't mean anything by it, but Lord, there's a responsibility that we have for us and for our family and the people that we're responsible for to, to say yes when it's necessary and to say no when it's necessary. And Father, that takes wisdom. It takes your wisdom. 
So we pray for that this morning. Would you lead us this week in better yeses and better noes? Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.